0: Okay, so that you realize that that we are following along this pattern according to Luke. So remember, we're looking at the chronological life of Jesus. Luke is the only Gospel that says that it has followed the chronological events. It hasn't covered all the events, but the events that are listed in the Gospel of Luke are all chronological for the life of Jesus. So so you can see that we we are indeed following. Turn to Luke chapter 9... (coughs) And in Luke chapter 9, r- recall what we did is we had just finished speaking last week about Jesus equipping the twelve before he sent them out. And in Luke chapter 9, you'll see in verse 6, Departing, they began going out throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So that's what we had just finished, where that was expanded upon, actually in Matthew's gospel. And we, so we looked at that portion in, Ma- in the gospel according to Matthew. But now if you look in in verse 7 of, of Luke chapter 9, verse 7, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed because it was said by some that John has risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. Okay, so, you see, uh, Luke just gives uh, three verses, 7, 8, and 9, about this event of, of Herod. So, what we're going to do is now we're going to turn back to Mark, the Gospel according to Mark. And Mark expands upon this very event. So, in Mark chapter 5, we're going to start reading from verse 14. So, remember, Luke is our outline for chronology It's a very simple idea. There's nothing complex. Luke is our outline for chronology. And now he mentions a little portion. Now we're going to go to the other Gospels. That In in this particular case, Mark is the one who shares the most on on this. So, look in, in Mark chapter 5, verse 14. And King Herod heard of it, for his name had become well known. And the people were saying, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, he's Elijah. And others were saying, is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I have beheaded, has risen. Okay, so what, what is, what is uh, uh, Herod hearing about? Herod is hearing about the ministry of Jesus, and the ministry now, even of Jesus' disciples and he's hearing all of this ministry, and some people are saying, oh, uh, uh, that, that's Elijah who's ministering, or that's one of the prophets of old. And others were saying, that's John the Baptist has risen from the dead and is sharing and doing all these great works. And Herod himself starts saying, John, whom I have beheaded, has risen from the dead. This is sort of like Shakespeare, you know, where, where you... you, you, you you have somebody who's, who's, one man who's killed another man, and this 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 man comes back and starts, you know, just the spirit is tormenting the man, the murderer. So, imagine what Herod is now going through. He has had John the Baptist beheaded, and now Herod himself is saying, John, whom I've beheaded, is doing all these great works. This is no small thing. If you have been responsible for murdering a person, and now you believe that this person has risen from the dead, uh, I'm sure his, his sleep was upset. So this is a big thing in Herod's life. And so let's read on in verse 17. Now it starts, it starts recounting what had occurred there. Verse 17, For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but used to enjoy listening to him. A strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee and when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced she pleased Herod and his dinner guests and the king said to the girl ask ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you and he swore to her whatever you ask me I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom and she went out and said to her mother what shall I ask for and she said the head of John the Baptist immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want, to, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths, and because of the dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard about it, heard about this, They came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. Okay, so what we hear about, what we read about, is that Herod starts hearing about this great works that Jesus is doing and assumes that it is John the Baptist who is risen from the dead. And then the scriptures tell us, recount how John the Baptist died. So John the Baptist lived, his ministry time was for about three years. He had one year of active ministry where he was going and proclaiming, uh, 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 where he was proclaiming that, that the Messiah was coming, and and then he baptizes Jesus, and shortly after that he was imprisoned. He lived two years, almost two years in prison, and then he was beheaded. And so this man who who had him put into prison was, it says, his name was King Herod. This is Herod Antipas. He was the Herod in charge of that northern area, around the Galilee area, and Herod Antipas uh, uh, was the son of King Herod. So, you you may, so Herod Antipas, you may have heard of King Herod the Great, he was called, Herod the Great. If you go to Israel today, you will see that the top of Jerusalem, Jerusalem is not the highest mountain around, there's actually mountains around it that are a little bit higher, because he had the top of the... mountain of Jerusalem, cut off to make it into a plainer area where he could construct the city. You will see the remains of Herod's temple. Herod built a huge temple It was actually completed after his death, and and, uh, the building of the temple was 70 years in building the temple, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, 40 or 70 years, a long period of time, and he was a great builder. And uh, uh, so the temple that he built for the Jews, he himself, Herod the Great, said he became a Jew. He actually said that he he was a Jew, but he was a real tyrant. Herod the Great, the father of King Herod Antipas, Herod the Great is the Herod that we read about, who wanted to have Jesus killed when he was born, He, he believed that that they said, you you know, the the king of Israel has been born, the wise men came, and he heard about it, and he went and he had every male child, two years old and younger, uh, uh, in Bethlehem killed, but Jesus had escaped with his family to Egypt. That's the King Herod. That's the father. If you go today to Israel, you will see all sorts of things that that King Herod the Great built. He built Masada. Masada was there, but he really, really built that up. You can see his tomb, Herod's tomb. He took a huge mountain, cut off the top, and he is buried in the side of that mountain. And you can go and tour this. And in fact, they say that King Herod has changed the face of this earth more than any other king. More than any other king. That's what a builder he was. So this is Herod the Great. Well, Herod had several sons. One of his sons was Herod Antipas. Another one was Philip, which we'll read about in a little while so Herod Antipas is the son of Herod the Great. Herod Antipas is, has this, this wife, Herodias. Now, now who is Herodias? So, so, remember Herod the Great. Herod the Great, of course, he was a great king. He had several wives. His favorite wife was Miriamne. Miriamne had two sons. Okay, so you have Herod the Great. One of his wives was Miriamne, his favorite wife. She gave birth to two sons. Aristobulus was one of those two sons. Aristobulus had a daughter named Herodias. So Herodias, this woman that we're reading about, this wife of Herod Antipas, is the granddaughter of Herod the Great. So she has married her uncle, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is her uncle. So you see this connection here. And uh, uh, what happened to Miriamne and her two sons? Well, well... Herod the Great was, was really paranoid. You have to be paranoid if you hear it, the king of Israel has been born. You can't find him, so you kill every male child in a city, two years old and younger. So so uh, he was so paranoid. At one time he became paranoid, he thought that, that Miriamne was against him. So she, he had his favorite wife, Miriamne, executed along with her two sons, Aristobulus and his brother. And and in fact, uh, uh, at one point, Caesar said, so, so remember, Herod the Great was still under Caesar of Rome. Caesar said of Herod the Great that it is safer to be one of Herod's pigs than it is to be one of his son's. And in that he's saying because the man has become a Jew so he doesn't eat pork, it's safer to be his pig than one of his sons because the guy is so paranoid he kills off all his family members. And he was doing that. Alright, so here's Herod Antipas. He is married to Herodias. Well, it says that John, it says in the Gospels that John had confronted them, had confronted Herod Antipas because he was married to Herodias. So what's the problem of that? Well, Herodias was first married to Philip, one of, one of Antipas's brother, half-brother, was Philip. She was married to Philip. She left Philip, and then she was a mistress of another step-uncle for a while, and then she married Antipas. So, John, knowing that this family was Jewish, was convicting them of the sins that they were committing... So in the book of Leviticus, you weren't allowed to have incest and you weren't allowed to have adultery, and here she was, her husband, Philip, was still alive, and now she had been married now she's married to Antipas. So he had reproved King Antipas, King Herod Antipas for this. And so Antipas didn't really want to put him in prison so badly as Herodias, his wife, wanted him killed. So when you start picking on people concerning their their sex life, I'll tell you, you get them really angry. And this is what's happening with this woman. She wanted John the Baptist killed. Who is this guy to be talking about my personal life? So she wanted him killed. But Herod Herod Antipas didn't want him killed, just wanted him in prison, kind of enjoyed pulling him out of prison and and, and listening to him every once in a while, but was afraid to kill him because it says that he, he viewed him as a holy man. So what happens here, what we just read is that there's this strategic day that's occurred. And this strategic day is where uh, Herodias' daughter, from another man, her name was Salome, this daughter, does a dance for King Herod. He's drunk with all his dinner guests, and he likes the dance so much, he says, I'll give you anything you want, up to half of my kingdom. These are these very strange proclamations that, that we have to be careful of. So this is another reason why it's not good to get drunk. Because you say things that you really ought not to say. So he promises her up to half his kingdom. Just because she danced for him. So he's made this oath in front of his dinner guests. And so she goes to her mother. She doesn't know what to ask for and Her mother says, I know what to ask for. Ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So... Salome doesn't resist this at all. She runs right on over to to Herod Antipas and she says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And it says that he tried to avoid doing this but he couldn't because he had made the oath. All the dinner guests are looking at him so now he's stuck. So it says he gives the charge to send an executioner to take off the man's head in the prison and bring it back to the girl. And They go, they cut off his head, and they bring her the head on a platter. She takes it and gives it to her mother. That's the story. So what I want to do is I want to think a little bit about what this seemed like from John the Baptist's perspective, and from the perspective of his disciples and Jesus. Remember, what's the relation between Jesus and John the Baptist? They're cousins, right? So they're cousins. John the Baptist is now in prison for two years. He's brought out occasionally to speak to King Herod, and and Herodias is there. And he does. Herodias doesn't like him because she's already been told. uh, uh, He's already. She's already heard John the Baptist speak against her lifestyle and 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 uh, Antipas's lifestyle, but. He used to enjoy hearing him because he would probably come and speak with him the things and and he was a great man. But here he is sitting in prison over a two year period only brought out occasionally and all of a sudden several men come walking in. They take him and he doesn't know what's happening. For all he knows he's going to be brought to speak to uh, King Antipas again. And they put his head down over a log and they take out this big sword and then he knows. And it's that quick. He's gone. Boom. His head's cut off. Nothing. No explanation. Nothing. His head's cut off. Couldn't God have protected John the Baptist? In fact, Jesus at one point, and we covered it previously, said of John the Baptist, no greater man has ever been born of woman than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So he spoke of John the Baptist as being the greatest man that had ever been born. But he says what he is in the flesh is nothing compared to what people are in the Spirit because he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. But as far as a man, he was a great and righteous man, John the Baptist, diligently serving the Lord. Couldn't God have spared him? Couldn't God have retained his life? I mean, just like that, so suddenly, just because of the request of a young girl. Now, this, this young girl, Salome, she was not innocent in this. She, remember, came running up and willingly did this. She ended up marrying another Philip, one of her uncles. This Philip, she, she became a widow very quickly, and then she died herself a terrible death. Uh, she died of a, a disease death while she was young. So, you know, things that people do in life, they don't necessarily get away with. And um, But think about this from John's perspective and from the perspective of his disciples. I mean, he's gone just like that. Just like that, he's gone. I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 10. This is the portion we had just finished the last month and a half in, in Matthew chapter 10. Just before Jesus sends out his twelve, he had spoken to them something. Just before he sent out his twelve. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear Him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Matthew 10:29. now. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not... You are more valuable than many sparrows. So, look at what he says to his disciples when he's sending them out. Look at Jesus' view about life, about death, about God's care for people. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. So, all of a sudden, Jesus is now giving us two things. He says, there is a body that we know of, but there's also a soul. He says, people may kill the body, but there's also a soul. And they don't have the power to kill the soul. Jesus says this. This is how he starts to to speak. He knows what he's talking about. He says, there is a body and there is a soul. And he tells us more. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. But fear Him. Now Jesus tells us there is a hell. This is not imagination. This is real stuff. Jesus said there is a hell. And God can send both the body and the soul to hell. God has that ability to send both the body and the soul to hell. So the soul is a real entity. Then he says, There are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are worth more valuable than many sparrows. He, he says, A sparrow doesn't even fall to the ground apart from God's knowledge. He's never saying that you'll never be hurt. He's never saying. He says, sparrows fall to the ground. But they don't fall to the ground apart from the knowledge of God. The very hairs of your head are numbered, he says. He says, so don't fear them. You're worth more than many sparrows. Jesus qualifies things. I don't know why things in life happen the way they do. It is very easy for people to stand comfortably when everything happens to be going well and talk about the great protection of God. But then in life, things often fall apart. I mean, just last week, a, a young lady who we know, she'd been married about four years, just passed away of cancer. She was pregnant, wonderful, wonderful young lady, loved the Lord, and uh, uh, she was very athletic. She'd been a runner in college. She was pregnant and then all of a sudden they saw her getting really large in her pregnancy and it turned out there was a tumor alongside of the baby. So they, they said, "Oh well, we'll operate after the boy is delivered. So she delivers the baby and her stomach is still just huge and it turns out this tumor was much larger than they had thought. So they, they removed the tumor and then she had about uh, uh, three years or two and a half years of just You know, treatment and treatment. And and I used to visit her in the hospital. And her husband, and she would minister to me. I would go to pray for them. And I would be the one that would leave just touched by their ministry to me. he said, you know, this is the lot that God has for us. She was going through chemotherapy and, and they were praying. They were praying like crazy. Their church was praying. And even uh, uh, Shireen and I just spoke with her husband. They just had the funeral last week. Uh, and he said, th- he said concerning his wife, Megan, he says, because Shireen said to him, thank you for taking such good care of your wife through this, this, all this that she had to go through. Thank you for taking such good care of her. He says, I made a vow to the Lord and it wasn't hard to keep that vow with as precious a woman as she was. I mean, just to see his care, and now, so he, he now has this, this two-year-old kid, and, uh, and you know, he's still in his 20s. I don't know why these things happen. I don't know why pain comes, and I don't try to figure all this out. You know I get called into situations, people where, where a loved one has died, a child has died or something. and I don't know what to say other than, "I am so sorry. I am so sorry." Let me pray God's encouragement for you. That is all I know to do. I haven't figured out this whole thing. I don't know why a man who is considered one of the greatest men who has ever lived, without any explanation, because of the whim of a a wicked woman, has his head removed. No explanation, nothing. So this, this young girl dances, she makes a request, and 10 or 15 minutes later, a man's head comes on a platter. I don't understand this. There are so many things in life that we just absolutely do not understand. But I'll tell you, what we experience as individuals, what we experience in this country, is just a brief window in human history where people live at peace in this country, where we don't worry about you know, nations coming in and just destroying us. Throughout human history, you lived in a little city. You didn't know if some marauding band was going to come and just kill everybody. This is a brief window that we have in the protection that we have. But even in that, I don't understand why pain comes. I don't understand why all of a sudden somebody gets in a car accident and dies. And they were a wonderful person. I don't understand. But the Scriptures make it clear. There is a soul. There is a soul that lives forever. God is able. There is a body that dies, but there is also a soul. And there is hell. And if a person does not know God, if you don't know God, there is a hell that awaits you. This is a real thing. There is a hell that awaits you. And you can say all you want that, how can a loving God send anybody to hell? Because uh, it says that it's going to happen? Because it warns that it's going to happen? How could a loving God be dishonest? What happens to us if we make God into a liar concerning His Son? So there is a very real thing that happens in life. A very real thing. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And God speaks of this. And I don't know why bad things happen and I can't explain it, but the scriptures tell us that none of this happens without God knowing. That every hair on your head is numbered. That God is in control of all things. And that is the only comfort that we could have in this. That God is in control of all things. And I grieve with those who grieve. And I cry with those who cry. And I don't understand why all of this happens. And all I can do is lay this at the feet of God. God who sees the beginning and the end. Who lives outside of time and space. Because He promises that when we know Him, we live with Him forever. When we know Him. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 covers... uh, This is the classic chapter on the resurrection of Jesus, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but it also speaks of the resurrection of the dead, those who have died in Christ, those who have slept in Christ. Remember, the the word sleep in the scripture is often used for people who were believers in Jesus Christ, who have then passed away, who have died. Jesus often referred to them as sleeping. Remember, He would say, He said, Lazarus is asleep. And they said, well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. And Jesus said, "Ah, guys, he's dead. The term sleep is what Jesus used when a believer died. Of the little girl, he said, "Uh, she's not dead, she's only asleep. And everybody laughed at him. And then he raised her up. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does... Perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. For the perishable must put on imperishable and the mortal must put on uh, immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and the mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is, is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So look at what Paul does. He shares with them a mystery. He says, when that last trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise. This is talking about a physical resurrection. God is going to call a physical resurrection. It says earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, If Christ has not been risen from the dead, then none of us are going to rise. But because He has been risen, we also shall rise from the dead. The physical bodies shall rise from the dead. And you say, well, how can this be? You know, some physical bodies, there's nothing left. It's totally burned up in a fire. You put a body in the ground, and after a few hundred years, there's there's nothing there. It's just been consumed by the earth. How could this be? Well, how did God put you together how you are right now? How did He do that? If God can put you together once, He can put you together again. Guess what still remains? The atoms still remain. They're still there. The atoms don't go away. He can call these things back and just put them together he can do this it says the dead in christ shall rise and then once they rise those who happen to be alive who have not died when that last trumpet sounds they will meet together in the air they will be taken up directly turn to to 1st Thessalonians 4 1st Thessalonians 4 so before you hit hebrews and after 1st corinthians you should find 1st Thessalonians turn to 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 1st Thessalonians 4:13 But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. When someone who knows the Lord dies, the physical body dies, their soul immediately goes to be with the Lord. Prior to the, the, the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus, the, the, bodies would go, the soul would go to a place that was uh, called the bosom of Abraham. Jesus even referred to it as that place. When Jesus, after He died, it says that He went and He took captivity captive. He took all of those souls and He brought them up into the presence of the Father. So now when one who dies in Christ, one who knows the Lord, immediately their soul is with God. Their soul is with God. This is what the Scriptures teach. And then the Scriptures also teach, well, what happens to their physical body? The physical body will be raised. The physical body will be raised and will go to be with God At the last trumpet. One day the physical body will also be raised. What is it? What about the physical body and the soul of the unbeliever? It goes exactly where we just read. It goes to hell. And in fact, the physical body will follow them. The physical body of the unbelievers will also be raised and be sent to hell. That's why the scripture said, Jesus said, Fear Him who is able to kill both the soul and the body in hell. Both of them will go to hell. The soul and the body. It is a real thing. And if ever you think yourself so sophisticated that you can get beyond that, then start tearing out pages from your Bible because it's nonsense then. These words of Jesus are real. And then Paul confirms it here in First, first Thessalonians. <clears throat> he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. So he's speaking of those who have died knowing Christ so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. He doesn't want us to grieve like those in the world who have no hope. When I see someone who doesn't know the Lord die, I mean, it's a, it's a real sad thing. Because I know what the, their fate is. But when one who is in Christ dies, it says very specifically, he says, I don't, you shouldn't grieve for them the same way. You don't have to grieve like those of the world. Because I know they're in a much better place. You know, I go to these funerals and there's the body sitting there, but I know they're not there. Their soul is just rejoicing before God. This is the promise of God. Don't grieve the same way for the believer. Their, their soul is with God. And that fleshly body will be reassembled at some point and meet the soul in the air. And they will go and meet the Lord together in the air. That's the promise. That is the promise that He has for us. So we don't have to grieve along with the world. But if you don't know the Lord, grieve. If you don't know the Lord, be fearful. Because your soul and your body will be in hell. And as soon as you die, your soul will go to hell. And then your body will follow. This is true. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. As sure as Jesus has risen from the dead, you will be with Jesus, is what he's saying. As sure as Jesus has risen from the dead, and He was seen by more than 500 people at one time, He walked on this earth for 40 days, showing Himself to the believers. As sure as He has risen from the dead, you too will be raised. That is what Paul's saying. He says, For this, in verse 15, this we say to you, by the word of the Lord. He said, I'm not making this up. This is by the word of the Lord. The Lord Himself is instructing this. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, when the Lord returns, some people are still going to be living on earth. Those believers on earth are going to be taken up directly. But they're not going to be taken up first. The first, it says, the dead in Christ shall rise. Those who have fallen asleep, they'll be taken up and people who, whoa, and then they'll be taken up. The people who are alive will then follow. But first, those who have died in Christ will be raised. Verse 16, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The Lord Himself will come, Jesus Himself, just as He was taken remember, in the, in, it, it says that he was taken in the book of Acts it talks about this, and they saw him going away on, in the clouds. He was raised up, and then he was taken away in the clouds, and the angel said, "He will return just as you have seen him, just as you have seen him go. He will come returning in the clouds. Jesus Himself will be there. ...to receive these bodies that are rising up... ...and unify them with the souls that are already with Him. And then, after they have risen up... ...then those who are alive, who have not yet died... ...will join with them together in the air. This is the promise of Scripture. (laughs) Then those who are alive and remain... ...will be caught up together with them in the clouds... ...to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words... You want to know what to share with people? You want to know what to share with people when they've lost loved ones? Share with them this. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. If they know Christ, you comfort them with these words. You comfort them with these words. That's what it's for. Comfort them with these words. Paul says, these words have been given to you to comfort them. Did Jesus believe this? Look in, in, in John. The Gospel according to John, John chapter eleven, John chapter eleven, verse twenty-five. This is the portion that I send to anybody who's lost a loved one. If I suspect that their loved one knew the Lord, and if I don't know it, I will ask them, "Did they know Jesus?" And if they say yes, boom, I shoot this scripture off to them. John eleven twenty-five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said this. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never, he who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Even if he dies, you're gonna be with me. Jesus promises this. This is a blessed hope. I'll tell you, this is a blessed hope. Do you have a loved one who has gone on? If they know the Lord, this is a blessed hope. Jesus really believed this thing. And if Jesus believed this and you don't, guess who's right? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. What's he talking about? The soul will never die he who lives and believes in me will never die and I'll raise up his body. And then he finishes it up and he says, Jesus says, do you believe this? You have to answer that question. Do you believe the words of Jesus? If you don't, then what else do you not believe about what he said? Maybe the whole thing is is a farce. The words of Jesus are true. He raises people from the dead. He raises people from the dead. Things happen in life we can't explain. I don't have answers for all this. I don't have answers for the pain that go on in life. But this I know. He is the one who raises the dead. And I pray for people. Sometimes God intercedes and sometimes He doesn't. Why? Because He's God. He's God. He doesn't conform to my image of Him. I pray. Sometimes He answers. Sometimes He answers with the answer no. And the person goes on, I prayed for this young girl, Megan, and her cancer didn't go away, and she died. But her soul is alive with God. That I am sure of. And one day her body will follow. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of your word. You are so good. Father, I pray that we could comfort one another with these words so that when things happen in life that we don't understand and pain occurs that we don't understand, Father, that we will remember that every hair on our head has been numbered by You and there is nothing, no pain in our life that happens apart from You. Father, help us to remember these things, to hold fast the promises of Jesus, that we will live with Him forever. Thank You, Lord, that our souls will live with Him forever. Thank You, Lord, for Your mercies. You are indeed merciful to us. Thank You for what Jesus has provided. Your grace and Your blessing on these young people, I pray. In the name of Jesus, Amen.